till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures, I tried to hide. It was my turn till I met you. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave. To your glorious day, you call my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. Now your mercy has saved. My soul. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old man knew Jesus when I met you. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave. darkness into your glorious day you called my name and I ran out of that grave out of the darkness into your glorious day heavy the chains break at the weight of your glory i needed shelter i was an orphan now you call me a citizen of heaven when i was broken you were my healing now your love is the air that i'm breathing i have a future my eyes are open because when you call my name You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. I hope you're doing well. There we go. All right. I'd like to welcome you here this morning to Faith Family Fellowship. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. And uh, we have the wonderful privilege this morning to not just be in the presence of the Lord and to, to hear from Him and to worship Christ, but to see a visual picture of what Jesus has done in one of our young people coming forward to be baptized. And so I uh, would like to welcome you. If you're a visitor, there should be a card in the pew right in front of you that says connection card. 
I would just humbly ask you to take that, fill that out, and drop that in the basket on your way out this morning so we can have a record of you being here, and if there's anything we can pray for you or do for you, note that on there. I would love to to know about it and be able to reach out to you. All right? So by way of announcements, we will be back here this evening to... uh, to prepare a, a ministry uh, that, uh, that several of our folks have been involved in and are following the Lord in of reaching out to foster families and adoptive families to be able to share and meet needs. And so this evening, uh, we will be over, over in the uh, Family Life Center, over in the gym behind us, and preparing the stuff that has been donated and the room over there to be able to invite people and try to meet those needs. And so I want to invite you back this evening uh, to that opportunity to serve and to to get those things in order so that uh, some needs can be met and families served, children can be served, and hopefully the Lord would open a door into the, the lives that he would allow us to, to touch and be involved with, to share the gospel with, and to uh, to see the gospel go out and the love of Christ be seen. All right, so that's this evening. Just want to invite you back uh, this evening at 6 o'clock to over, over to the gym to, to work on that. All right, so as, as I said this, this morning, we, we have a baptism. And so Peter Gardner is coming uh, forward to professing faith in Christ that God has come and has transformed him from death to life. By the grace of Christ. And so as you're coming forward, uh, we, we have met a few times over the last year, I think, and talked about uh, kind of what was going on. And it's been evident from just conversations to see, to see a, a change of, of God who has brought about illumination in your mind of understanding who he is and then trust and faith. And so that's baptism. This is just water. This is, this is simply water that is a picture of a spiritual reality, of what spiritually has occurred. That is, Jesus came and gave his life on a cross, and he was buried and rose again in life, that he does the same thing spiritually. And so do you, do you testify and proclaim that you have been born again by his grace and that you're trusting your life to him? I do. All right. So it is my privilege, brother to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of Christ, and raised to walk in newness of life. All right. So let's pray. Pray with me if you would. Father God, thank you for... Thank you for Peter. Lord, thank you for hope in your Son. That God now, amid... Amid life, disaster, terrible things, anything that can happen, Lord, that there is promise, there is hope, Lord, that you provide for us. That, God, you have accomplished once and for all. The Son has given his life, paid the debt of sin so that anyone who would call upon him, Lord, would have hope and life eternal. That there will not be another sacrifice. Jesus will not give his life again, that it is complete and it is finished. And so, Father, thank you so much for that grace and that blessing. And Lord, I ask your help, Lord, this morning that, God, you would lead us in dependence and reliance 
upon your son, that you would lead us in repentance, God. Thank you for Peter, for his public profession of trust in you, and for his desire to be part of your church and your people. And so, Father, I ask that God, his example would encourage us, would encourage others here who have not taken that step of faith in baptism, and that, God, that would, that would grow and sanctify, Lord, uh, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance and for your glory. So, Father, I ask that, God, you would be with us. God, you would speak to us this morning. and God, you would be most glorified. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Man, what a great opportunity to celebrate with Peter Gardner. Um, just to, to see what the Lord is doing in his life. That we as a church body can come beside him and celebrate with him and encourage him as the Lord is working to be able to continue to just pour into him. So that's what I encourage you guys to do as as you see Peter today, um, the rest of this year, the rest of his life, just to encourage him and continue to, um, to pour into him and uh, celebrate with him the redemption that the Lord has brought. Let's continue as we uh, sing this morning. Praise the Lord, His mercy is born. It's stronger than darkness, it's new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. could remember the wrongs we have done omniscient all-knowing he counts not their son thrown into a sea without bottom or shore our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the lord Mercy is more. It's stronger than darkness. It's new every morn. Our sins they are many. His mercy is more. And what patience would wait as we constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the lord his mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more 
Because of kindness he lavished on us His blood was the payment His life was the cost We stood neath the debt We could never afford In our sins they are many His mercy is more Praise the Lord is more praise the Lord his mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more our sins they are many his mercy is more our sins they many his mercy is Sting in the 
for Christ the King. And oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore, for endless days. We will sing Your praise. Oh Lord, oh Lord our God, and He shall return in robes of white, the blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus face and oh praise the name of the Lord our God oh praise his name forevermore for endless days we will sing your praise O Lord O Lord our God oh praise the name oh praise the name of the Lord our God oh praise his name Praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Oh, Lord. let us praise you in all that we do. God, help us to glorify you. Whether we're eating or drinking, Lord, whether we're at school or at work, God, help us to be glorifying you in everything that we do. Lord, thank you for your mercy. God, how we are so undeserving of it. God, we've messed up in so many ways. And yet your mercy is so much more than how we have messed up and how we will mess up. Lord, there is no measure, there is no end to your mercy. 
we are so thankful. As we've been able to witness Peter in baptism, Lord, confess to the church that he has followed you, that he understands your mercy is more than his sin, and that he committed his life, surrendered his life to you. God, help us to remember that we have submitted our lives to you, that we are no longer in control, but you are. Lord, thank you for that reminder today. God, I pray for Pastor Joel as he brings the message. Lord, that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. That we will leave this building better equipped to be your church, to show your love to those around us. That we will be able to love you by loving others. God, thank you for this time. We love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning to you. And uh, I did not finish my sermon last Sunday, as I mentioned to you. And because I'm a little bit limited, uh, I won't pick up where I left off. Because we got, we got to just march on. I think you got the message that God wanted you to hear. So, you know, the goal is not to uh, get through a sermon. The goal is to proclaim the glory of who Christ is. And you have an opportunity to respond to that truth. And uh, so I'm saying that because I probably won't make it through today <laughs> either. Uh, as you know, we're working through some of the significant passages of Scripture for uh, the book of Isaiah, and uh, my, my iPad's not cooperating with me here very well. Uh, today we're talking about the Song of Salvation, and we'll be in chapter 14. Uh, even though uh, I understand that if I want to preach to the church next Sunday that I've got to go to Disney World, <clears throat> somebody said, because uh, Mardi Gras coming up and, and, and a lot of you are heading that way. Uh, well, y'all uh, do uh, what? Find each other and uh, have church while you're down there, if you're going to be down there. Uh, but next Sunday, we're going to be talking about God's just or righteous sovereignty. And uh, it'll be uh, something I hope will be an encouragement to you. Because if we talk about God's uh, sovereignty, um, you need to know that everything He does is righteous. <laughs> he doesn't do anything wrong. You know, every once in a while, somebody says, well, I, just don't, I don't know that I like that idea. Well, all that does is reveal our hearts. Okay? It means, what it means is, who wants to be in control? I do. And coming to say that God is in control uh, says that my heart is submitted and surrendered to a good and gracious Creator, Savior, and Heavenly Father. And so today we're going to tackle the Song of Salvation. Uh, and there, uh, there's several in the book of Isaiah. Uh, and they're actually called Song of Salvation. 
So in chapter 12 uh, this morning, I want to read uh, verses 1 through 6, which is the whole of the chapter, and uh, we'll put it in a context and uh, kind of give you an understanding of it and uh, tell you a couple of stories that go along with the greatness of God's salvation. And uh, part of it will be uh, something that's going to be hard uh, for you to listen to because it refers to a sermon preached by Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And uh, then secondly, we'll look a little bit at uh, John Newton and uh, his, uh, the story of Amazing Grace. And uh, so kind of want to give you an outline of what my goal is, and we'll try to get there. So uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, read along with me. If not, up here on the screen. Uh, it begins in verse 1. And you will say in that day, and let me just stop, and say it doesn't tell us specifically in that day what it means. It does, it is used frequently through the book of Isaiah. And so the question would be, is it the day of judgment or is it in the day of salvation? And the answer, I believe, is yes. Boy, don't you love that? Wouldn't you just love to have those kind of questions in school? Is it A or B? That's both. Uh, and, uh, and it really is. So in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for through, though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. It is, again, our same word that we translate sometimes as repent. It, it, it changed. It went in the opposite direction. And he did it, his anger turned that he might do what? Comfort me. Behold. And then he gives us this great definitive statement. God is my salvation. Do you have salvation? Question is, are you in Christ? Is Christ in you? God is my salvation and I will trust and I will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation and you will say in that day give thanks to the Lord call upon his name make known his deeds among the people and proclaim his name that his name is exalted Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. And let this be known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. And let me say, we need to understand that as the people of God. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father, we do thank you for the, the clarity of these few verses that are here about the greatness of our salvation. Who is our salvation? What has transpired that you who were angry at us, by grace you have brought to us salvation and you have given to every child of God a well of salvation in which we joy and we express that joy through multiple ways to the ends of the earth 
to ourselves, to each other, to people who've never heard about you, and then ultimately to you. Lord, you are the glorious one, and it is our heart today to just give you the glory that is due your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now you can't, you can't take this idea or this concept of God's anger or his wrath against mankind out of the context of what we read back in chapter 6. You'll remember it was in chapter 6 that when Uzziah died, the king, uh, Isaiah sees the Lord and when he sees the Lord in all of his glory and holiness, what does he do? He's afraid. And why is he afraid? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now I've got to tell you that's not a popular thing to say today. But, but you know, you, you don't come to the Word of God for popularity. You don't come to the truth of the Word to find out something that's a lie. You come to it to find out what is reality. That's, when you go to a doctor, that's what you want. You want a diagnosis that is correct. So you, that you can have a prognosis to get better. And that's what we do when we come to the Word of God. And so Isaiah sees the Lord and what does he do? He falls down and he says, I'm a sinful man. I told you the King James Version when we translate it. Uh, when uh, Isaiah says, I am undone. That actually the root word there in the Hebrew means I am silent. I am so afraid in the presence of holy God. Uh, you, you know, uh, I, I, do, I know that constantly through Scripture when people encountered the Lord, uh, they fell on their faces. Even, even Peter, uh, with Jesus as they're fishing and, and Jesus tells him to throw the net on the other side, he's fished all night, caught nothing. He fishes on the other side at the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he bring, brings in that great catch of fish, what does he do? He falls down. And he says, my Lord and my God. That's the kind of response that we are to have in the presence of God. And we need to acknowledge that in our day, in our culture today, and in the proclamation of the Word of God from so many uh, pulpits across our country, we are too familiar with God. God is wholly other than we are. We don't want to make God in our image, even though we've done that. God is not like us. He is wholly other than us. He is great in all of His glory. He is righteous in everything that He does. He is so holy that he had to say to one of his holy ones, Moses, if you were to see me, you would die. We need a resurrection of a fear of God, knowing that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we are to fear God. i never forget, I've told you this before, I had a staff member at another church Man, he, he, he just got mad at me. He said, preacher, you talk about being fearful of God and we're not to fear God. And oh, he got angry. He'd slam his fist down. God is love. 
Well, he is love. <laughs> Otherwise, you and I would be in disastrous trouble. So let me remind you who we're talking about here in this context. Uh, we're talking about the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Back in chapter 11, we're reminded that the shoot from the stump of Jesse, the branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Who are we talking about? Well, there it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in Luke's gospel, remember when, when Jesus goes to Nazareth, his hometown, he takes the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah and he unrolls it in the front of his people before them and he begins to read from Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. Luke records it this way. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, the offer is salvation, but you and I have to understand that salvation is on the backdrop of God's wrath against sin and against mankind and against me. You and I have to personalize this for ourselves. So the, it's, it's a sinner being faced with the wrath of God and God must remedy that problem and he does in order for you and I to have salvation God must put to rest or satisfy that conflict the Bible uses a big word to identify what that is it's propitiation and what that means is the ransom price paid for the debt that is owed to God's justice and his righteousness against our sin. Now in uh, 2016, and I know all of you must uh, read the uh, New York Times regularly, right? <clears throat> uh, in an article in the New York Times in 2016, the question was answered, uh, what is the most asked question about God according to Google okay so I'm gonna give you the top three. First question that was most googled about God is who created God by the way I've been teaching some on Wednesday night with our children and I get asked that question quite a bit from kids because we teach creation and we understand creation we you, we get that concept Things don't just happen. They must be made. They must be created. And the question is, who created God? And the answer is, <laughs> nobody, because he is the creator. He has always existed. It's a concept that it's hard for our brains to comprehend. And yet the reality is, you and I need to grasp that concept, or we won't really grasp salvation. For God created you for what reason? For himself. For his glory. For his purposes. 
And then the second question is, then why does God allow suffering then? Well, that's a, t that's a tough one to answer. And that's probably one of the, uh, the most difficult questions, I think, that you and I have to answer is, why does God allow suffering? If God could have eliminated it, do you know what we would not know? We would not know grace. We wouldn't know saving grace. God in his sovereign wisdom. And here again, we need to trust in the fact that God knows what we do not know. That he has allowed suffering in our world because he has an eternal redemptive plan through that suffering. Ultimately, who is the one who suffers the greatest? It's God himself. And the suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ endured on the cross of Calvary. And it is through suffering that we learn obedience. And so these are good questions. Third question. Why does God hate us? Why does God hate us? And that's a good question. I think the question maybe ought to be, why does God love me so much? At least that was my response when I read that. I thought, it's a good question. Why does God hate us? But I know what the Bible says. He hates us because of our rebellion against him. He, he, he hates sin. And as sinners, we experience his anger, his wrath, and his hatred. The bigger question is, how could he ever love me? And so, uh, does God really have that right to be angry with us? It was on July the 8th in 1741 in Enfield, Connecticut. You know, the Northeast, New England. Uh, pastor at, uh, uh, had been visiting with several other pastors at a church revival called the First Great Awakening in the United States was underway. People were being converted uh, regularly every Sunday from church to church. And yet there was this absence of any response to God to the congregation at Enfield, Connecticut. And several pastors came there to pray. And one of those pastors was Jonathan Edwards. He had preached a sermon several times before. He'd preached it to his own congregation. And he titled it, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And while these ministers were gathered together and praying for this church and wondering why was God moving in such great ways in other places, he began to weep. And as he wept over this congregation, the other pastors said, you're the one to preach today. So that's how I came to preach that Sunday. He wasn't set up to preach. He had a plan to preach that day. But he stands before this congregation and he begins to address this question about the wrath of God. And listen to some of the things that he says. He says, the wrath of God burns against them. Their damnation does not slumber. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot and ready 
to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow and the glittering sword is sharpened and held over them and the pit has opened its mouth under them. Wow! Wouldn't you just be excited to be sitting in that church service that day and hear the preacher get up and start saying that? Now what you don't know is that as Jonathan Edwards proclaimed that, there was a grieving in his soul. There were tears in his eyes. I, I remember hearing stories from other preachers in times past when they would talk about how... Uh, he would stand, he stood in the pulpit that day with a written manuscript and it was very stoic and very unmoved by what he said. Uh, you know, I've learned through the years, it's better to go to what we call the primary sources. For those of you that are scholastically oriented, you know what I mean by that. Don't read what other people say. That someone said that they said sometime in another place, in another way. Go back to the primary sources. And so I did that this past week. And I started reading where Jonathan Edwards talked about the grieving in his soul. He was pleading with a congregation of people who he feared were about to step off into eternity. Trusting in their religion and their morality and their goodness and not in the grace of God. And then I'm going to summarize. He had ten points. That's why I said I'm not going to get through the sermon. I'm just going to summarize uh, what he said in just a few statements. Number one, he says, The reason why I, I am burdened for you is because there is no lack of power in God to cast wicked men into hell. You say, that doesn't sound very gracious. Oh, it... It's coming to hear the truth. It's coming to hear the truth that God is in control. And there is no lack of power in God to do it. Men's hands cannot be strong when God rises up. I'm going to stand before God and say, now wait a minute God. Let, let, let's talk about this for a few minutes. That's kind of the concept that we have in our current culture. That if God does exist, I'm going to kind of bargain with God and that's so far from the truth and the reality of what the Bible says and what we will face before a holy God God is all-powerful and he will cast wicked people into a Christless eternity and it's a place called hell it would be the most unloving thing, the most uncaring thing to say to the world as other pastors have from pulpits, there is no hell. God is a God of love. And therefore, God being a God of love, He would not send anybody to hell. Now, that, that would be a terrible thing because Holy Scripture declares the opposite Jesus himself because occasionally somebody will come along and say well that's just the God of the Old Testament does that Je Jesus isn't really that way and yet Jesus 10% of what Jesus said in the scripture had reference to hell and it's the most gracious thing to say to people 
God has the power and you have no power against God. Number two, they deserve to be cast into hell. Oh man, I'm just so glad I came to church today. <laughs> you know, I deserve to be cast into hell. And the truth is we do deserve to be cast into hell. Because God's divine justice requires it. You and I are right in the midst of a social, I don't know what to call it. It's not an experiment. It's a disaster right now around which we're struggling with justice and righteousness socially. And there is a strong demand for justice and righteousness. And yet when we come to holy God, we run from it. Instead of embracing it. God is a God of justice. He will right all wrongs. No one will get away with anything in God's economy. It must be paid for. A debt has to be paid. We're going to get to the grace in a minute, okay? <laughs> Thank goodness for His grace. Number three. They are already under the sentence of condemnation to hell. That's why he pleaded with this congregation. This is what he said to this congregation. You are already under the condemnation of hell. Why? He that believeth not is condemned already. John chapter 3 says. Oh, now wait a minute. Isn't it John 3.16 that says for God so loved the world? And then just right after that, God, God doesn't, he doesn't desire that we go to hell, but we are condemned and he gives us the reason why. Because we have chosen not to believe on the Son of God. Now, how many of us have ever not believed on the Son of God? Every single one of us. Every single one of us. You know, I, I know I hear people say, I've always believed in God. Well, you've always had some kind of belief in God, but you've not had saving faith in Christ. And there is a difference. There, there's a difference to say, I, I accept these truths about God. I believe God is this. I believe Christ died on the cross. But to come to a reality and an understanding requires a work of regeneration by God himself. He has to open our eyes to see it. And until that happens, we are all condemned because we believe not on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I, sound, I hope I'm not sounding like I'm angry. Okay? I really don't want... God's angry at sinful men because of our rejection of the Lord Jesus. Number four, he went on to say, they are now the objects of the very same anger and wrath of God that is expressed in the torments of hell. Number five, the devil stands ready to fall upon them. He's, he's already made claim and he owns them. He says, remember Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. And so what right do we have to say, well, God doesn't have this authority to be angry with me. I have wrath toward me because before being born again, I am a child of the devil. 
You should have been there last Sunday at the uh, um, facility where my mother is. Uh, I was leading the worship time together and uh, we, were, we were talking. I was trying to convey how sinful we can be and uh, uh, my mother said, my mother's sitting in there and she says, because I'm, I'm her baby, okay, if you're, if you're the baby of the family, you know how moms can treat you, okay? My mother says in front of other people, my son didn't sin. What do you mean, Mama, I didn't sin? I was born in sin. And she says, yeah, but you didn't do anything wrong. I said, you remember... You know, some of you are old enough to remember the, uh, Mr. Smitherman, uh, Dennis Smitherman, who was the head sports writer for the uh, Mobile Press Register, uh, who whenever I did something, in, or any of us kids did something in athletics, he had a laminated picture of the article and sent it to us. He was my neighbor, diagonally across. And back in those days, you could buy what was called an M80. It was like a quarter of a stick of dynamite. I said, Mama, you remember how nice Mr. Smitherman was? Yeah. I said, do you, do you remember there were some kids that blew up his mailbox? I know some of your parents are going to go, Oh, preacher, why did you share this story? I said, Mama, we did it three times. And that's some of the least of my sinning. We are seized by an enemy of Christ. And it is his eternal enemy, Satan. And we sin the way we do because we are sinners. Admittedly, there are good sinners and bad sinners. Okay? And I hope your children as they grow up are good sinners and not bad sinners like I was, except it really doesn't matter. They need to know that any rebellion against God is a revelation of a heart and life outside of Christ. I could just go on. I, I told you I had ten of them. We don't have time for them, okay? It just gets harder. He preached so hard to those people, and the reason why he did it, he wanted them to know. And I'll quote, give a quote. I think it'll be on the screen. The use of this awful subject may be for awakening unconverted persons in this congregation. This that you heard is the case of every one of you that are out of Christ. That world of misery, that lake of burning brimstone is extended abroad under you. There is a dreadful pit of the glowing flames of the wrath of God. There is hell's widening, gaping mouth open. And you have nothing to stand upon, nor anything to take hold of you. There is nothing between you and hell but air. It is only the power and the mere pleasure of God that holds you up. Oh, hear the passion, not only of the preacher, but it's the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is the one who in verse 2 of Isaiah 12 says, God is my salvation. He is mighty to save. If we trust in Him, notice what it says, I will trust in Him and then not be what? Afraid. Oh, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God unless you are in Christ. So yes, in that day, the root of Jesse, Isaiah 11.10 says, who is Jesus, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And in that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant, his remnant. Remember what the word remnant means in its original text? The repentant. Those who turn to Jesus Christ. Those who have been graced by the Lord. We're reminded in 2 Timothy, as Paul was writing to young Timothy, to be patient with people so that lest God grant to them repentance. God is the giver repentance. I know it's not a popular word in our day. It is a very popular word in the economy of salvation. You must repent. And I don't know about you, I can't repent. I try to repent. I turn the best I can. Oh, that God helped me. And He did. And He does. And it is a gift from God. So that you and I can come to this well of salvation that he speaks of in verse 3. He talks about praise. Look at the joy that you and I get at this well of salvation. Oh, to know that I'm no longer under the wrath of God through faith in Christ. It produces a praise in my life that expresses itself in joy. I was on my way to church this morning and I was just looking at faces of people. I was assuming that most of them were on their way to church. And uh, as I was looking at their faces, you know what I noticed? They look like the most miserable people on the planet. Now they may have been going to Walmart and that would put that kind of face on me. I recently had an unsaved person say this to me. If evangelicals would really like to see people go to heaven, then they would quit being so mean like they are. Now whether that fits us or not, I dare say there's truth in that. That we often act like we're mad about everything. And yet... What does the scripture say? When we come to the well of God's salvation, what should it produce? Joy. There's a participation that takes place in this well of salvation. Well, he says, you must draw from it. God doesn't just put it in you. You've got to go to it and draw from it. It's a daily drawing. It's a moment by moment trusting in Christ. It's a reality that in Him we live and move and have our being. And what a joy it is to come to Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to run to Him. In times of fear, in times of 
of uh, blessing, whatever the context may be. What a joy to come to Jesus. When I sin and I'm ashamed, what a blessing it is to come to Christ. To know that the scripture says, as we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and what? Keep on cleansing us from all sin. Notice there's a provision in this verse as well because it says there's water there and it is a well. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you've ever been real thirsty. I can remember back uh, when uh, our son was younger and uh, our, our daughter-in-law, I don't know if they were married at the time, uh, uh, we went to Death Valley. Uh, we had gone from Yellowstone and drove to California and went to Death Valley. And Yellowstone was so full of water and, and it was prevalent everywhere. And we get into Death Valley and you know what? It's, it's dry. I mean, it's so dry. You don't know that you're evaporating. Well, yeah, I, I didn't sweat. I was amazed. I was like, as hot as it is, I don't sweat. Man, South Alabama when it's 90 degrees... You know, some of y'all know what I mean by saying sweat like a pig. You know, I don't know that pigs sweat, but I don't think they do. <laughs> uh, but I didn't sweat. Well, yeah, I was sweating. I was evaporating. It was going away and didn't know it. And you become so thirsty before you realize it. Some of you have uh, visited or lived in Las Vegas. And, and you know that they tell you you've got to drink so much water every, every day. You've got to drink every two hours. And you, we don't, you come to the well of God's salvation often like that. We don't live in a wet spiritual world. We live in a dry spiritual world and we need to come to this well on a regular basis. And notice what he says there. There's a preservation that comes at that well. It's a well of salvation. It's a well of rescue. It's a well of refreshment. It's a well of restoration. So, uh, oh, I've already run out of my time. <laughs> Uh, verses 4 through 6 give us seven imperatives, okay, of response. I'm just going to read them. They're very simple. There's a praise. It says give thanks, but literally the word in the Hebrew is to throw. It's throw it out. It's throw out praise. It's different than the other word for praise down in verse 5. The word in verse 5 means to sing praises. This is just to exclaim it out. We are to call upon him, verse 4 says. It's a petition in prayer that we are to respond to God and his great salvation. There's to be a proclamation in verse 4. We make known his salvation. Uh, we're not ashamed of it. Man, come and drink of this well where you will never thirst again, Jesus said. That's what we need to be saying. Uh, th there is a... Uh, a proclamation that is uh, uh, given, a, a past one rather, in verse uh, 4. Notice what it says, proclaim that his name is exalted. There's a, uh, a play, as it were, in verse 5. And that is a joyful singing of his praise. 
There's a passion in shouting in verse 6. And there is a projecting of singing unto the Lord. And then I'll close with uh, John Newton, okay? I wish I had time to tell the whole story of John Newton. Uh, and uh, it is an interesting story. Let me just give you some words. Sinner. Sailor. Servant to slaves at one time. You may not know that about about him he was captured and had to be a servant to slaves he was a slave trader he captained three ships this took place over nine-year period of time he lived back in 1725 until 1807 he died at age 82 he called himself a savage he said he was also a slanderer he used the word blasphemer and that's what it means to blaspheme. He slandered God regularly. And yet, by God's grace, he was snatched out of sin. You see, he was caught in a storm. The story is that they were caught in a storm that lasted ten days. And he was literally tied to the stern to keep it going straight. And during that time, he cried out unto God for salvation. And there are those that say that that's when he was born again. But John Newton says, no, I wasn't born again then. I, I, I made all of these promises to God. I said to God, if you get me out of here, if you save my life, get us out of here, I'll do this for you and I'll do that for you. He said it was years later before he was converted and came to know the free pardon of God's saving grace. He was saved and became a servant of Christ as a pastor of a church. And ultimately he set slaves free through abolitionism. He knew what he had done was wrong and we wanted to set those things aright. Here are a couple of quotes from him. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But I am still not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's the one that wrote, obviously, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. It amazes me how the unbelieving world so embraces that song. And they do because we identify with it. Even the lost world identifies with the fact that we can be wretched. We can be wicked to one another. And John Newton also said, it is dishonoring to God to talk about my sin. He didn't, he didn't get up and talk about his sin. He said, but I will honor him by exalting his saving grace. He didn't go around telling about how bad he was. He went around telling everybody how good God was and his grace. And so he went on to say... I think this is the last quote I have from him. The Lord claims the honor and he engages for the accomplishment of a complete salvation that no power shall pluck his people out of his hand or separate them from his love. This perseverance in grace besides being asserted in many express, promi express promises speaking from the scripture 
may be proved with the fullest evidence from the unchangeableness of God. In other words, when God promised, he's not going to change. So he's going to do what he said he would do. Also, because of the intercession of Christ, I'm going to be saved. The union which subsists between him and his people. We are one with Christ. And from the principle of spiritual life that he has implanted in their hearts. In other words, he's put new life in you. If you've been born again of his spirit. Which is in his own nature is now connected with everlasting life. And I love this last little phrase. For grace is the seed of glory. When you and I have been graced by God to be saved by his grace. He transforms us so that at the end of his life. He's 82 years of age. I'm starting, some of you can identify with what, he's, what he says here. He says, although my memory is fading, <laughs> I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. And if you want to know what the summary of the message is, that's the summary of it. God has the right to be angry with us because we have rejected the beauty of His Son. We have chosen like sheep to go our own way. We've strayed away from Christ. But God in His great grace has extended the offer of salvation. And He says, every one of mine will come to me. And I want to ask you, are you saved today? Have you been rescued by Christ? Are you repentant in your heart toward Him? Have you turned to Him? Have you been converted? And that word converted is changed. Has there been a transformation in your life? Is your life now purposeful because of Christ? Is there a joyfulness that accompanies the salvation that you have in Christ? Because Christ is in you, are you wanting to proclaim Him to others? Are you regularly praying because you want communion with Christ? Are you praising Him because there is nothing in this world that is worth praising? Are you serving Him out of love and joy because of what He has done for you? Are you seeking others to experience the freedom that is in Christ Jesus. Are you honoring him by your lips and by your life. And looking forward to his return. That's where God wants us to be. And you know what? It's just a moment away. An unbeliever can come to faith in Christ. By calling upon the name of the Lord. And being saved. A believer can be in immediate right fellowship with him by repenting of our sin and returning to the Lord and basking in the well of his great salvation. And so, Father, I do pray that the hardness and the harshness of those words that Jonathan Edwards shared
ring true in our hearts because they were true. You have the right. You created us. And we have taken that great creation and we have marred it because of our sin. Lord, we have broken your commandments. And therefore, we are sinners under the wrath and judgment of God, but for Christ. And like John Newton, Lord, we know that we are great sinners, but thank you, Lord. We have a great Savior. And in Christ, grace came. And grace upon grace is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, it is in the beloved that is in the Lord Jesus Christ that we are graced by you. And so, Father, we come, we run, we fly to Jesus in this very moment in our heart. For the grace that comes out of the well of the salvation that was purchased for us in Christ on Calvary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to...